Let's pray, right? Let's pray and uh, we'll, we'll get into the Word of God. Father in heaven, we are so grateful, Lord, to be here today. Such a blessing to gather together as a body, Lord, to exalt you and to exalt you only. And we're so grateful for that. Lord, speak to our hearts today. And Father, Lord, that we would live, Lord, and die with confidence, knowing, Lord, that we have eternal life in you. Father, I decrease, I decrease that you would increase, empty myself of myself. So fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. Praise in Jesus' name, all God's people said, <clears throat> amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, turn to chapter 5 now, verses 1 through 10 is today's text. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. We're now in part 7 of our series, From the Heart. Say, From the Heart. Now, as always, before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. It was chapter 4, all of chapter 4, and I gave you three points from that text, you might remember the points. Point number one of last week's text was the Scriptures. Say that. The Scriptures. And that's in verses 1 through 7. And Paul knew that it was only by the grace and mercy of God that he had been saved and given the opportunity to share the gospel. Say gospel. I want you to look at verse 1 with me quickly here. And Paul writes, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry. What's that ministry? Well, it's the new covenant. Say new covenant. Then he says, we do not lose heart. In other words, we do not surrender as, as cowards. Now, it hasn't been easy for Paul. We know that as you read about his life. He had his share of afflictions and trials and, and discouragements, but, but he didn't bail out. Paul didn't quit, right? Why? Because the message of the new covenant is too amazing, too life-changing for him to give up as a coward. Someone say amen. Then Paul says, we, we are not like those deceivers and those distorters of the word. On the contrary, we handle the scriptures, the word of God, rightly and display the truth of God's word openly in the sight of God. And then Paul points out that it's the God of the saints, speaking of Satan, who blinds the minds of people from the truth of the gospel. And he, speaking of Satan, keeps them from seeing their true spiritual condition and their need for salvation. Now, now, one of the primary things Satan blinds people from is the character and nature of Jesus. Why? Because we know that Jesus is God. Amen? Say, Jesus is God. Then in verse 5, Paul affirms that the focus, and I love this, the focus and the priority of his preaching is Jesus Christ alone. I love that. It's, he's not promoting himself. He's not promoting or pushing his agenda, or even his ministry. In verse 6, Paul compares, and I love this, Paul compares the conversion of a sinner to creation as described in Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And then in verse 7, he gives an illustration. In other words, he, he pictures our body as a jar of clay. And then what he does, he then gives the implication, the illustration first, that our bodies are a jar of clay, and now the implication is this, that this is done so everyone can see that our power is from God and not our own. Now listen, the treasure of the gospel doesn't receive its value from its container. It derives its power from God, from God, not the vessel. It's about the content, not the container. Can I get an amen? In other words, it's your pot, right? It's your jar, but it's his power. It's his power. 
The second point of last week's text was the suffering. Say that, the suffering. And that's in verses 8 through 15. And Paul talks about the, the reality of suffering and the reaction, or should I say the right reaction to it in the lives of believers. And, and Paul was willing to suffer. I mean, that's his life. He was willing to suffer, willing to face death, because in facing death, he could preach the gospel of life. Now I want you to follow me here. He, speaking of Paul, shares in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in him. And you know, I love the fact that through all the bad things and all the sufferings and afflictions and, and things that Paul uh, that had happened to Paul, uh, he didn't seal his lips up. He continued to speak up, continued to preach the gospel. No matter what he was going through, his pain and suffering, he continued to speak forth the truth of God's word. Someone say amen. Even the fear of death didn't slow Paul down. Now in verse 15, we see that Paul's uh, living his life for the sake of others. His heart was to serve the Corinthian believers. He was others-focused. We, also, we all, also should be others-focused, right? But his ultimate goal, if you read the verse, verse 15, his ultimate goal was what? Motivated by the glory of God. The third point was the secrets. Say that. The secrets, verses 16 through 18. The secrets to what? To, to endurance. And he gives us, you and I, believers, the Corinthian believers, us as well, the secrets to endurance. And this is how we don't lose heart. Let's read verses 16 through 18. He says, Therefore we, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You guys get that? So on the outside, we're suffering, we're taking a beating, we're wasting away, but on the inside, say on the inside, God is blessing and renewing our lives. The inner man, woman, is getting stronger. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what Paul's doing, Paul's putting his troubles and his trials, his afflictions and sufferings on the scales of eternity. And they, what, he's, what he's basically saying is they are those, those, those sufferings and trials and troubles and afflictions. They are but small potatoes compared to the lavish celebration prepared for you and I in glory. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is what? Unseen. For what is seen is what? Temporary, but what is unseen is what? Eternal. And this is what kept Paul going. He was, listen, it was his focus. His focus. He focused on the eternal, which now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is Dying with Confidence. Everyone say that. Now, the reality is, is this, is that we're all going to die someday. That's just the reality. We're all going to die someday. In fact, Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's a great chapter, by the way, what he does there, he lists 28 activities under the sun, and he begins in verse 1 of, of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 by saying, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. So there's an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven, right? And then in verse 2a of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon writes, a time to be born and a time, say it, to die. So we're going to die someday, unless you're a believer and Jesus comes back before you die. That would be awesome, right? And that's what we hope for, right? Now I want to say this, you can look at death, speaking of death, you can look at death in one of three ways. 
in one of three ways. I want you to follow me here. Just write it down. You can look at death from the downside. Say that. The downside. And this is from the, the world's point of view. The downside is from the world's point of view. It's the attitude that we just die. Life is over. It just ends. There's no heaven, no hell. You just die and that's it. Like a candle going out, your life fades out in the darkness. There's, there's nothing left, no experience, no reaction, no knowledge. It's just over. In other words, eat, drink, and be merry. And if I die, what's the difference? No big deal. So what? Now, if that's the way you're looking at death, then what you're really saying is that your life doesn't matter. That your life doesn't count for anything. And by the way, almost all who endorse an atheistic philosophy of life hold this view. Listen, the problem with, with having that view of death, okay, the, the downside, the world's point of view, the problem with that is that you'll live your life with no purpose and you'll live your life with no meaning. And the result is that you will face death, listen now, you will face death with despair. Got it? So you can look at death from the downside. You can also look at death from the inside, say the inside. And this is what we call the human, the human, excuse me, human philosophy side. The human philosophy side. It's the attitude of knowing that there's something after death. There's something after death, but you just can't figure it out. You, you know it's there, but, but you're left with questions. In other words, you have a hunch. You have a hunch, but no hope. No hope. And the result is you will face death with confusion. Say confusion. Now, there's another way you can look at death, and it's, here we go, the upside. Say that. The upside. And the upside, and I love this, the upside is what God has shown us about what's going to happen after you and I die. And God showed us something about death through the life of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived, died, was resurrected from death into life in order, listen now, to give us the hope to experience eternal life in heaven. Good place to say amen. And the only way, listen now, the only way to experience the upside is by trusting Jesus Christ to come into your life, my life, our lives, to be our personal Lord and Savior. And once you and I, once we do that, once you do that, you're able not only to view death, listen now, with confidence, but also face death with confidence. Amen? In John eleven twenty five, write that down, John eleven twenty five. 25, most of you might know this by heart, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though we're dead, yet shall he live. So listen, death ends nothing. Say that, death ends nothing. Okay, it merely closes the door on our earthly existence, and what it does, it opens the door of eternity. And therefore, death is no longer a foe, but a friend. So you can look at death or face death with despair, confusion, or confidence. So keep that in mind as we move forward, okay? You got it? Say, got it. In today's text, Paul, what he's doing is writing from the heart, say from the heart, there it is, say from the heart, of one who is longing for his new body and longing, listen now, for his heavenly home. And he's following up on, on the thought presented in the previous chapter. So, so what I want to do, let's look at these amazing truths in today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Five points. Point number one is the garment. Write that down, say that. The garment, write that down. And we'll look at verse 1 here. Verse 1, Paul writes, For we know, I love that, say, for we know, that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, 
We have a building from God. Say that. That's referring to our glorified body. Got it? Okay. Our glorified body. An eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. So first of all, notice, Paul says, for we know. Say that. Now say it with confidence. Say, for we know. Paul didn't say, not, not, he, he said, for we know, not think, not hope, rather, we know. How do we know? Because we trust the word of God. Got it? And Paul's confidently saying, we know when this body, when this tent, when this garment, this earthly vessel destroyed, there's a new body awaiting us. And Paul's like, there's a lot of things we don't know about when it comes to the future. But this much we know for sure, as Paul's saying, he's saying that we won't have to live in tents forever. These tents and these garments forever. Someday, our tent, listen now, our tent will be replaced with a building made by God. And that was Paul's confidence, and that should be our confidence as well. Look at the text again. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. Now, I want to stop there. Paul's referring again to our earthly physical bodies as a tent. Right? We know that, right? A vessel, this earthly vessel. Remember, Paul was a tent maker, right? If you know that about Paul, he was a tent maker. He, so, so he was extremely familiar with that kind of material. Our bodies, say our bodies, are like tents. Now, have you ever been camping? If you've been camping, say, say yeah. Raise your hand, right? Well, I got to tell you, I think camping is one of the most ungodly activities on the face of this earth. I'm just being honest, friends. And, and, you know, by, by the way, let me say this. I have never, never met a happy camper. Never. Okay? And I've been camping about three, maybe, maybe four, maybe four. That's pushing it four times in my life, and I've never been a happy camper. I don't get it. Why would I want to go somewhere, spend money to, to rent a lot and not shower for a couple of days and build a fire? And I, I don't get it. Why? I'm not a happy camper. Right? But the fact is this, tents, they're like our bodies. Our bodies are, are like tents, okay? They wear out. They sag. They expand. <laughs> they wrinkle. Come on, church, are you with me? They're flimsy. They bulge in all the wrong places. This is it. They're temporary. Say that. A tent is a temporary dwelling. That's why when you go camping, right, you go, you set up your tent, and then after a few days, you what? You tear it down, and you move on. It's temporary. And this tent, this garment, this body is temporary as well. Got it? One day, we're going to fold this up and move on. Now, whether we realize it or not, these bodies of ours are fading, wasting away, right? I mean, they are. And listen, we can try to do everything we can to stay young and stay fit and try, try to, if you will, remodel, remodel our bodies to keep them from looking, to keep them looking, excuse me, as good as possible. We can paint the tent, right? We can make it look brand new, but I got to tell you, it's a losing battle. It's a losing battle. If you're safe, say amen. But we don't got to be discouraged. Knowing that these bodies of ours are wasting away, Right? That it's a losing battle to try to keep them all, you know, fresh and new. Don't be discouraged. Look at the text. We have a building from God. Are you with me? Referring to our, our bodies, our resurrected bodies. So we need to think about the difference. We need to think about the difference between a tent 
in a building. Well, we know that tents are temporary. We just established that, right? They're flimsy, easily torn, meant to be replaced. A building is permanent. It's stronger, right? Strong. It's built on a foundation and not meant to be moved. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Someday we will give up our tent. Very simple, but important. Our garment, our body, listen now, we give up our, we're going to give up our body, our garment, and replace it with a building, a new body made by God himself. Get this. Say, say by God himself. That one fact, made by God himself, that one fact tells us something important about death. Death is not the end. It's not reincarnation. It's not evaporation. Okay, it's not annihilation. Death is a trade-in. Say trade-in. If you're safe, say amen. One day, say one day, we will trade in our broken down, weary bodies for a new body. Yeah. Notice again what Paul says about the new body. Look at the text. We have a building from God. Now I want you to get this and follow me here. We have a building from God, see, from God, an eternal house, say eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Say that. So follow me here. It's from who? It's from God, which means it's eternal. It's permanent, not temporary, right? It's also heavenly, not earthly. And it's not made with human hands, but made by God himself. In fact, he, listen, he specifically he especially makes them, our, these bodies of ours, makes them to suit the environment of eternity. Amen? So that's our garments. One day we're going to get a new body. These old garments will be gone. We'll get a new body. Someone say amen. Point number two is the groaning. Say that. The groaning. Write that down. The groaning. And let's look at verse two now. Paul writes, meanwhile, we groan. There's that word groan. Say groan. Longing. I love this. We groan. Why do we groan? Longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Did you get that? So here Paul is declaring that our bodies are groaning for what? For new bodies. For new bodies. We groan because we are weary, rain-soaked campers longing and groaning for our new bodies and new home. Groaning what? For glory. We groan because we live in a fallen, mixed up, messed up, broken down world, and we ourselves, our bodies are broken down. Right? Have you ever listened, speaking of groaning, <laughs> have you ever listened to the sounds you make when you get out of bed? Now, when you were young, you get up and say, ah, ah, good morning, Lord. Good morning, Lord. I'm ready. Now that you get older, you get up and say, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, good Lord, it's morning. Yosemio, help me. Right? I mean, everything just hurts. It's a chore just to get out of bed. We groan, right? We groan. Call the prayer chain, baby. Come on. You know, right? We groan. But I want to tell you that groaning is biblical. We groan. Say, we groan. We groan looking for a better day, a better place, with a better body, and a better world, a new heaven, and a new earth, okay, where, there, where there'll be no more cancer, no more death, no more pain, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more abuse, no more hatred, no more wars, no more crime, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more hospitals, no more nursing homes, no more rehab centers. 
or funeral services, no more prejudice, no more racism, no more pandemics, praise God. One day, say one day, the groaning's going to stop. <laughs> right? So when you get up in the morning and you're like, ay, 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 hey, it's okay, it's biblical. Because you're groaning for a new body. A better day, a better place. Can I get an amen? Verses 3 and 4, because when we are clothed, we are clothed, we will not be found naked. In other words, we won't be found without a body. Got it? Verse 4, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Burdened with what? Burdened with the issues and the challenges of life. Aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our, what? Heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal, okay, these physical bodies, maybe, I love this, may be swallowed up by life. Say life. Paul is saying that the new heavenly life to come will overtake our present existence. Life. Say life. Come on, say it like, say it with enthusiasm. Life. Okay, life. Not death, but life swallows the believers up. Got it? It swallows us up. Life. You say, say amen. All that is mortal, all that is corruptible, weak, and subject to decay is going to be swallowed up by eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Paul writes, death is swallowed up in victory. Good place to say amen. Got it? The garment, the groaning. Number three, I love this, is the guarantee. Say that. The guarantee. I love this. Let's look at verse 5. Now it is God. Who is, who is it? It is God who has made us for this very purpose. I want to stop there. What's the purpose that he's made us for? Well, listen, to fashion. i got, got to get this. To fashion us to undergo the change from mortals. Listen now. From mortals to a life of immortality. Listen, we live in a body of flesh that's prone to sin, right? Say amen. Right? That's true, right? And suffers the effects of that sin. If you agree with that, say yes. Well, one day, say one day, follow me. Just as in salvation, the sin now, we made the transition from condemnation to justification. We will make the transition from a, from a mere mortal to inhabit an eternal building in heaven. Let's read on. And has given us the Spirit as a deposit Here's the word, guaranteeing what is to come. Did you get that? What is to come? Now, when you buy a house, and most of us, some of us have bought a house, we're buying a house, what you do, you, you, you put a down payment when you buy a house, right? You put a down payment, and that's that down, it's, it's that down payment that's, listen, that, that, that legally binds you, right, to pay the full amount later. So you put that down payment. Well, that's what God has done through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who indwells us is God's down payment. It's the guarantee on our future resurrection. It's a guarantee on our eternal security. It's a guarantee on our eternal home. And what God did, God listen now, he signed on the dotted line and then made the down payment through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's a lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? You are signed, sealed, and delivered. Good place to say Amen. You are signed, sealed, and delivered. The Holy Spirit living inside of you, listen now, friends, is a deposit 
guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 4.30, write that down. Ephesians 4.30, Paul writes this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Gosh, that ought to give you confidence, right? Think about that. How awesome is that? The garment, the groaning, the guarantee. Number four is the glory. Say that. The glory. You got to love this, right? I want you to follow me here, verses six through eight. Therefore, we are always confident. Circle that word confident. And know that as long as we are at home in the body, okay, we are away from the Lord. So what Paul's saying is this. While we still live in these old tents, our physical bodies, our spirit, right? Our spirit, listen now, are not, our spirits are not in heaven. We know that, okay? Not in God's presence. And what I believe Paul is doing here, Paul is comparing, in a sense, the presence of God that we experience on earth. And we, we experience his presence here, right? Sometimes it's, it's deep, sometimes it's light, right? I mean, we, there's different ways that we experience the presence of God. So he's comparing the presence of God that we experience here on earth and the direct presence and contact face-to-face with God in heaven. It's going to be a difference. And that's the deal. Here during worship or your prayer time, there's times, right, where you just, man, I feel his presence. But when we get to glory, I mean, it's, it's going to be forever. Face-to-face, contact with him. Someone say amen. Verse 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. Again, say that. Say live by faith. Say not by sight. And again, Paul uh, specifies a contrast between the unseen spiritual realm of God's presence and activity and the present, the present visible world. In other words, this is what, what, what he pretty much said in the previous chapter. Remember what Paul said? He said, so we what? We fix our eyes on what is what? Seen, right? What is seen, but on what is seen, but on, what is the un, not what is unseen, but what is, what is ah, hold on. On what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is what? Eternal, right? Now, if you're saying, say amen, we have to come to the place in our hearts as believers where we have to decide how are we going to live? How are we going to live? What we can see or what we can't see? We've got to decide that. Are we motivated by what's going on around us or by what, listen now, what an unseen God has told us in his word about the promise and description of heaven? We are to live by faith in the promises of God's word, right? Verse 8, we are confident, confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Another translation is this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the And Paul knew that once the believer drew their last breath on earth, they would exhale in glory. They were confident, assured of being ushered in the presence of Jesus at death. And and this is the doctrine, listen now, we call this the doctrine of the intermediate state between our death and Christ's return. And what it does, it teaches that when Christians die, their spirit goes immediately, say immediately, into Christ's presence. They are at home with the Lord. While their bodies or their tent remain here, right, and are buried in the grave. So our spirit is with God, our bodies are in the grave. 
So when Christ returns, their bodies will be raised from the dead, say, say raised from the dead, and re reunited with their spirit. And the Christians who are still alive, us who are still alive, will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet Jesus, known as the what? Rapture. Harpazo. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 talks about the rapture. Go home and read that again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now I want to point out something here. Verse 8, verse 8 proves two false doctrines to be false. First, it refutes the false doctrine of soul sleep. You might have heard that term soul sleep, which teaches that when a person dies, that their soul just sleeps. It just sleeps until the time of the future resurrection. So verse 8 refutes that. It also refutes the false doctrine of purgatory. Are you guys with me? Say purgatory. Which teaches that the souls of people who die go to a place in which their souls are made pure. Purified from sin. It's a purging before going to heaven. So verse 8 refutes those two doctrines. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with uh, the Lord. God, that, see, they, see, that's glory. So the garment, the groaning, the guarantee, the glory. Number five is the gold. Say that. Write that down. The gold. Verse nine. So we make it our goal to please him. Did you get that? So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Our goal, our ambition, our aim in life is to please God. That being said, question, what is your goal? What is your aim? What is your ambition in life? What is it? To make money? Huh? To buy a home? To have your own business? To get a degree? To have the perfect body? What is it? To have children? To get married? To retire? And I want to tell you, there is nothing wrong with those things. But they shouldn't be our goal, our aim, and ambition in life. Our goal, aim, and ambition in life should be to please God. It should be to walk, live in such a way that is pleasing to God. Right? Now, what does Paul mean, whether we are at home in the body or away from it? Well, let me tell you, Paul didn't mean that we can perform acts after we die that will please God. Because, you know, at home, right, he says at home in the body or away from it. That whole phrase, at home in the body or away from it, is a figure of speech. For what? Always. Say always. In other words, it's living our entire existence, always pleasing God. That's what Paul means. Always pleasing God. Now, since what we do right on earth has eternal consequences, right? What we do right on earth has eternal consequences. Our goal, right? Our aim, our ambition should persistently be to please God. And you see, Paul wants to please God because he knows one day, say one day, he must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now look at verse 10. He just right in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now I want to say this. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers, not non-believers. Non-believers is the great white throne judgment. Okay? Judgment seat of Christ, or even known as the Bema seat, that's for believers. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Did you get that? So the judgment seat or the bema seat, and by the way, friends, bema literally means step. It means step, step, okay? as in a raised platform or a raised seat. So I want you to follow me here. The bema seat was, raised, was a raised platform, usually in the center of town that announces, that announcements, you mean that announcements were made, judgments rendered, and commendations handed out. And all public uh, proclamations came from this bema seat. So, so here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? We must all appear at this seat. We must all appear at this judgment. This judgment includes every single believer. If you're saved, say amen. You will be, when you pass away, you will be at that judgment seat. It, can, listen, it cannot be avoided. We must all appear. It's a personal judgment. That's how complete this judgment is. We all have a court date with God himself. And that's one appointment that you and I will not miss. Got it? Stay with me, okay? Stay with me here. As believers at the judgment seat, follow me now, at the judgment seat, we're not going to face condemnation, but evaluation. We're not going to face condemnation, but evaluation. Degrees of rewards in heaven are taught in this verse. Now, now, now listen. Though believers have their sins forgiven and will never suffer the punishment of hell, they will all nonetheless, this is not, we will not all nonetheless stand before the Christ at the day of judgment to receive various degrees of rewards for what you and I have done in this life. If you believe that, say amen. But I want to point this out, friends. The Greek word translated bad is follows. Say that, follows. It really means worthless. It means worthless. So the idea that God will reward us for the good things, okay? So the idea is not, see, the, the idea is not that God will reward us for the good things we did and punish us for the bad things we did. Rather, he will reward us for the worthwhile things we did and not reward us for the worthless things we did. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3, write that down. Chapter 3, verse 13 through 15 states about our, how our, our deeds uh, will be sift, right? Burned and come out as gold, right? Or burned. Now I want you to follow me here. The worthwhile things are those, say worthwhile things, are those that contribute to the advancement of God's mission and glory in the world, on this earth. The worthless things are those that make no contribution to the fulfillment of God's purposes. So here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? There will be rewards. Write that down. Say that. There will be rewards. The New Testament speaks of, of crowns that will be given to those who earn them. In fact, the, the New Testament is very specific, and it speaks about five crowns. Say five crowns. And I want you to follow me here. Okay, you ready? Okay. You have the incorruptible crown. Write that down. The incorruptible crown. Crown, which is stated in 1 Corinthians 9.25. 1 Corinthians 9.25. And it's awarded for faithfulness to God. Those who have been faithful to God, faithfulness to God, will be rewarded with the incorruptible crown. 
You also have the crown of life. Say that. James 1.12 speaks of that. And this is for the person who endures and overcomes temptation. Got it? Then you have the crown of rejoicing. Say that. Rejoicing. That's 1 Thessalonians 2.19. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. And this is the soul winner's crown. For those of you that win souls and you win souls, you will have the crown of rejoicing. Then you have the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness that's found in 2 Timothy 4.8. 2 Timothy 4.8, and this will be given to those who anticipate and live in the light of Christ's return. There's many who say, man, I'm just waiting for God, Christ to come back. Those who have that desire will have the crown, the crown of what? Righteousness. And then finally, the crown of glory. Say that. The crown of glory. 1 Peter 5.4 says this will be, in, and what it talks about there, it states that this will be given to the faithful ministers who give themselves to lead and feed the flock of God. So the incorruptible crown, incorruptible crown, excuse me, the crown of life, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. So you'll be crowned one day, given a crown. But guess what? The crowns that we're rewarded with are not for us to wear. But to cast at the feet of Jesus. So don't think you're going to be up there strutting your stuff and look at my crown. Nah. As he gives you that crown, you're going to cast it at his feet. Revelation 4, 10, 11 speaks of that. Revelation 4, 10 through 11. So, all that's been said today, let me ask you this. How are you facing death? Think about it. Are you facing death with despair, confusion, or with confidence? If you're a believer, you should be facing death with confidence. Every time I have the opportunity to officiate a funeral, I always end my message with this phrase. It is only with Jesus that a person lives prepared to die and who dies prepared to live. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for your word, and 